coming up next on The American Now. I came to the realization that my husband being sterilized isn't going to matter if I'm raped, and if I'm raped, I don't know if I'm going to be protected under the law. Especially with the way, you know, this has been set up, the woman or the person with the uterus is going to take the burden. Over the pandemic, we've seen a lot of increase in suicides, and I think this is just going to add to it, and that really scares me. That lie. This right is inherent by nature in every individual and exists even before the child is born. I think that there are too many men in politics. <laughs> too many old men in politics. <laughs> Which is another way of saying, though, that you feel like you're not represented. No, exactly. It's people from a different generation. I don't have to live according to what the Bible says because I don't believe in the Bible. You do you, I'll do me. Judging by how they kind of worded their argument against this, there's plenty of other things they could try to go for after this. It's not just women's rights that are at stake here. This is The American Now, a podcast on news, culture, and politics, with your host, Nadia Bashir. After almost 50 years, the constitutionally protected right to have an abortion in America is dead. On June 24, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court officially overturned Roe v. Wade with its decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, a case out of Mississippi. A draft of the decision leaked back in early May, putting the country on notice the court would likely overturn Roe. The leak spurred shockwaves in America, particularly for women. For the anti-abortion movement, it's a victory decades in the making. For millions of other Americans, it's a tsunami only starting to wash over the country, bringing confusion and chaos. What is clear is we live in a very different America now than just a couple of weeks ago. I spoke to protesters at the Ohio State House 24 hours after the court announced it officially overturned Roe. Now, under Roe, Ohio allowed an abortion up to the 20-week mark post-fertilization. But after Roe, Ohio's heartbeat bill kicked in, and that limits abortion at the six-week mark in most cases. And critics note there is no exception for rape. We're going to go ahead and hear from some of those protesters at the State House. And an editorial note here. At times, you're going to hear a lot of honking and background noise. The interview will pause until the noise clears. A lot of anger, frustration, um, hopelessness to an extent, but it's, you know, you have to do what you have to do. This is what we have, so that's why we're out here. 20-year-old Sarah Williams came to the State House with her friend to protest the Dobbs decision. For Sarah, the repeal of Roe is devastating. You and your friends are talking about this. What are you guys saying? What's the discussion? A lot of it is, what do we do? If for some reason we find ourselves in that position, my, I personally, I will be getting an IUD in a week. You know, it's making steps like that, taking precautions. Where do we go if we do end up needing one? Because it's likely we won't be able to get it in Ohio with 
the way things are going here. And So you are actively changing your contraception plans, yes. your life based on this decision. I am. Yeah, I'm currently on like oral birth control, but I don't trust that enough for myself. And so IUD will give me three years and enough yeah, production for three years. And after that, I hopefully can continue to get it. But with them overturning Roe versus Wade, it's scary to think what will come next and more they'll take that. Do you know anybody who's had an abortion? Have your friends? I do, yes. Um, in family and in friends. What has their feedback been? They're on the same side that it's, you know, the person's choice to get it done and they fully support it. None of them regret their choices. You know, it was the best choice for them at their time. For some, it was easier than others to make that decision. Some had support, some didn't, you know, and but they all got through it and wouldn't change their decision to this day. Are you scared to get pregnant at this point? Yeah. In any way, whether it's from consensual sex or rape happens, you know, they talk about incest and rape and it's just, yeah, in any way. So in 2022, as a 20-year-old American woman, you are scared to get pregnant. Yes. Because? Because I won't either have the choice to not be pregnant or the resources won't be available for me to have a healthy and safe pregnancy. Make no mistake, the Supreme Court has always navigated deep American controversies. But many say this is different, at least for the current generation. Headlines around the country say what millions of Americans now feel. The Supreme Court has lost its legitimacy. Something Sarah, who's barely out of her teens, echoed. The majority of Supreme Court justices who have made this decision are men. Yes. <laughs> what do you think about that? I think that there are too many men in politics. <laughs> too many old men in politics. <laughs> Which is another way of saying, though, that you feel like you're not represented. No, exactly. It's people from a different generation who, I don't mean it in an ill way, but their actions are going to affect generations longer than they're going to be here. And I don't think that's right. No, not that they shouldn't have a say. Everyone should have a say. But that's the problem is everyone doesn't. So obviously a man and a woman are involved in creating a pregnancy. Men, do you feel like they're having to bear any responsibility in, in this situation now? No, and especially with the way, you know, this has been set up, the woman or the person with the uterus is going to take the burden. You know, um, there's not going to be child support required at conception if that's where we're going to say life starts. You know, there's all these requirements that should fall, I believe, on both parties if we're going to require it, and it's not that way. The fear of getting pregnant in a post-Roe world is something I heard over and over again, including from Bridget Payne, a married mom with a baby. Okay, and can I ask how old you are? I am 23. 23, and where are you from? I'm from uh, Colorado, technically, but moved to Columbus four years ago. Okay, so I'm looking at your sign. Can you tell me what your sign says? Um, it says it costs $5,000 plus some to give birth to my son with insurance. Now I can't find formula. The GOP has blood on their hands, rotten hell, SCOTUS. So you're a mom? Mm-hmm. How old is your son? He's six months. Six months. Did you feel supported giving birth? Did you feel supported becoming a mom? It was honestly a very hard and traumatizing experience, to be honest. Um, and, uh, 
When I first, I grew up in a very religious, conservative household that was very pro-life, anti-abortion. And when I first found out that I was, I was pregnant, I was going to move forward with an abortion. And I had um, spoke to someone that I could, could, I felt like I could trust. And it ended up um, with me feeling like I could not get an abortion and being pressured into adoption. So for the first, you know, five, six months of my pregnancy, I was not connected at all. I, you know, was like set on adoption. Um, and part of that was because I felt very pressured to do so. And then as, as time went on, my husband and I decided that, you know, we will we'll make this work um, one way or another. And that was, I mean, breaking away from the adoption path was really hard. I don't think we wanted to do that originally, but there was just so much pressure there. Um, and people forget that adoptees feel trauma, the bio, the bio parents feel trauma. Um, and so it was very, very difficult. My pregnancy physically was very hard and mentally taxing. And then giving birth was it, the worst pain that I have ever felt in my life. Um, and then the next, you know, good couple months of being postpartum, severe postpartum depression, anxiety, and I did not feel like I was my own person. My body was not mine. And that has been really hard to, to deal with. And now the cost of everything going up and not being able to find formula for my son because I couldn't breastfeed, it's just, uh, it's awful. So uh, first, I'm, I'm sorry you've been through so much. Um, did you want to have an abortion? Is that what initially you felt like you wanted to do and you felt mm -hmm. like they talked you out of it? I. That is what I wanted to do, and then when the adoption came into play, I felt like I, especially because I could not tell my parents if I ever had an abortion. They, growing up in that very you know religious household that was pro-life, I would never be able to tell them. And my husband was able to talk to his parents, but I, I couldn't talk to mine, and that really started to started to wear down on me to the point where I felt like, why you know I can't do this. This is, you know, it's wrong, and I know it's not, but it was a lot of religious trauma to unpack at the same time. So even as a young adult in your early 20s, married, you felt like you could not reach out for support to your family, that that was still something stigmatized. Yeah, and, it, and unfortunately with my family, it always is going to be stigmatized. It's not something that I can ever have that sort of discussion with them. So what do you think this decision means for young women who may also be in the same shoes as you or who may have families that also they feel don't support them? I We are going to see, unfortunately, an, an increase in suicide rates. I know that I was at that point at one point where I felt like I I can't do this. So we're, we're going to see that. We are going to see, especially with the fact that there is not enough support for the mental health system, these bio parents and, and adoptees, they are going to be struggling severely mentally. And if, if you don't have the support, you don't want to do it. You just, you just can't make yourself do it. And so obviously there's the baby formula shortage. What's that been like for you and your husband now, parenthood? Miserable. We, we have been not, we don't want to hoard. We don't want to be playing into that. And it's gotten to the point where there have been days where we will drive all over town, drive out of town, and we cannot find formula, and we just hope that we are going to be able to find it.
work in the next few days because we're about we're about to be out. And if we are out, there's no safe alternatives. It's not like I can try and relactate for, you know, in in two days. It's not like I can reach out to a. Uh, a milk donor because they are so unbelievably expensive per ounce and with a kid that's drinking six seven ounces at each feeding it's i can't afford that so so yesterday roe versus wade is overturned and the same day you're having trouble finding and affording baby formula to Mm -hmm. feed your child what does the term pro-life mean to you it's not pro-life it's pro-birth they they think they say that they're they're saving the unborn, but they are going to be they're they're killing people. They are going to be killing people that are miscarrying and need certain procedures to pass the dead tissue. They are going to kill people that have mental health issues and don't have that support. They are it's they they're not pro life. They only care about life when it's inside the womb. As soon as it's out, they they don't care. So you obviously got pregnant when Roe versus Wade was legal. Mm-hmm. Do you worry about getting pregnant now? Uh, my husband, we are actually, he's uh, getting a vasectomy. Uh, I've told him that we are not having any sex until you get that vasectomy. And then I was on the verge of getting my, my tubes tied because birth control has always been really just hard on my body. And then I, I came to the realization that my husband being sterilized isn't going to matter if I'm raped, and if I'm raped, I don't know if I'm going to be protected under the law. So now it's it's kind of like I uh, I I don't want to have another child and raise them in this. I'm going to be raising my son uh, to be strong and and to to fight for everyone's rights, minorities, women's trans rights, all of those rights. But I I don't want. To, br- to bring a child, another child, into this. I... So you asked your husband to get a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Was it in anticipation of Roe versus Wade being repealed, or when did you have that conversation? We had, it definitely started with the fact that they, uh, with the leak, um, I mean, we, we knew that they've been working on trying to get this appealed for, for quite some time. Um, but as soon as that leak came out, it was like, we can't risk another pregnancy. We already struggled enough with this one. We are struggling to care for our son at, at this point that we we can't risk that. And now that it's we're at a six-week ban, which is a basic total ban, we, we really can't afford that. So he will likely get a vasectomy? Mm-hmm. He is going to be setting up an appointment, getting that done, and then following up with all the, the follow-ups that they require to make sure that he's good to go. What is this? I mean, you've been through so much, your journey to parenthood already. What has this entire last couple of months since the leak been like for you? It's been difficult, um, especially with friends that have been sexually assaulted and knowing that it's going to, it, if it hasn't already get to the point where they, if they get pregnant from sexual assault, they are not going to be able to receive an abortion. The fact that we are surrounded in red states, and if for any reason that they were to get pregnant, we're all screwed. Basically, they're going to have to try and find the money to travel out of state, or they're going to have to go an illegal route to get, you know, assistance. It's just, and now that it's real, it's I, I'm watching these providers lose their jobs, and who knows where they're going to go afterwards. It's just awful. 
Bridget touched on her own mental health issues when she became pregnant, saying she even considered taking her own life. Potentially increasing suicide rates are something social worker Sarah Knapp is extremely concerned about. Sarah, where are you from? Um, I am originally from Toledo, but I live in Columbus now. Okay. So, and yeah. how old are you? I am 27. 27, yeah. okay. So I see you have a sign. Um, can you tell me about your sign? Yeah, so my sign says never again. And, and it has a red coat hanger. Yes, a very poorly drawn one, but I try. <laughs> What does that sign mean to you? Um, well, I grew up hearing stories from my mom, actually, who was alive the first time all of this went down and um, actually protest protested herself at that point. Um, so to me, um, the sign is just never again, never back to that time where women were forced to do back alley abortions because they didn't have access. And that's why I'm here. What? So. what? <clears throat> what kinds of stories did your mom tell you about being alive in that time? What kinds of discussions as women have you had? Well, um, originally my mother was actually um, pro-life and um, she educated herself and then became a very strong advocate for pro-choice and women's rights. Um, the stories I heard, she grew up in Detroit. Um, during that time when all of that was going on and um, just women, like I said, being forced to go and uh, mainly women of color uh, being forced to go and get back alley abortions just because they didn't have access and to me that's not okay. I think every woman deserves autonomy for her own body. So, What kinds of conversations are you having with the women in your life right now? Um, Mainly with my mom. I mean, she supports me being out here today. Um, she just said be careful, but she <laughs> very much is for me being out here and supporting this. Um, I just think it's important to say something because if you don't say anything, you're saying a lot. So, Where do you feel like the fight for you goes from here? Um, well, I'm a social worker, so... Um, I, to me, this is very personal. I see women every day. Um, I work in a hospital, and I just am very worried for the impact that this will have on mental health, especially um, for women, and just feeling like they don't have an option, and that's scary. So as a social worker in a hospital, tell me what you see. What kinds mm -hmm. of situations are you encountering? Um, well, I mean, this just very recent, you know, just that happened Friday, um, but immediately I was at work when it happened, so I was immediately very scared for the future and just what I'll see, um, you know, in the weeks and months to come. Is pregnancy an issue that comes up a lot for you as a social worker? For me, it's more the mental health piece. Um, How so? Just in um, seeing an increase in, you know, possible people coming in with suicidal attempts or things of that nature, that concerns me as a social worker. So, so you're concerned that a woman who is facing a pregnancy that yes. she cannot feel that... So you're concerned that a woman who's facing a pregnancy that she feels she cannot handle in her life mm -hmm. may have severe mental health concerns up to and including possibly an attempt at suicide? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So 
that is something that I hope, you know, not to see, but over the pandemic, we've seen a lot of increase in suicides, and I think this is just going to add to it, and that really scares me. And if you know anything about the mental health system in America, you know that we're not equipped to handle an influx from anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So what will you do as a social worker? I'll do my best to try and, you know, give these women resources that I know of in terms of, um, you know, and I'll have to educate myself a little bit more in that aspect, but... Um, Would you expect the state of Ohio, for example, to... Would you expect the state of Ohio, for example, to increase resources? I would expect with Mike DeWine, we're going to see a huge cut to those resources. Um, I think that um, I would definitely assume that in the weeks to come, there's going to be huge budget cuts and um, just already, you know, there's not great resources, but I think that we're going to see a a huge decrease in that as well. So So I just want to make sure I understand. There will be, there will be an influx of women who cannot receive the physical medical care that they need, which will then also result in more women having mental health issues and potentially fewer resources available for both of those things? That's what I would anticipate, just based on what I've seen so far, yep. And we're not ready to handle any of that? No, absolutely not. Purely from a from an administrative standpoint? Oh yeah, absolutely. Our hospitals are already extremely understaffed and everybody's tired from the pandemic and I think this is just gonna completely add to that, so. Knapp said she expects Ohio to slash resources women facing unwanted pregnancies will need in the coming months. But in his interview with the conservative talk show host Bill Cunningham, immediately after the Dobbs decision, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, said he plans to increase funding for early childhood development and family-based services. Family is part of DeWine's political brand, along with saying he's pro-life. DeWine has eight children and 26 grandchildren, whom he's featured in his campaign ads. DeWine's son is also an Ohio Supreme Court justice. DeWine said he hopes to make good on his pro-life campaign promise. When I became governor, I really decided that I wanted Ohio to be the most pro-family most pro-child state in the union, and that I would work every single day to try to do that. Uh, We have dramatically increased funding for home visiting programs, for example. These are programs that that I first saw actually down in Cincinnati uh, and saw them work exceedingly well. I saw in some areas where they could reduce the infant mortality rate. Uh, We have doubled that. Less than two weeks after DeWine made that statement, Ohio made headlines after a 10-year-old rape victim who got pregnant 
had to travel to neighboring Indiana to get an abortion because under Ohio's heartbeat law, she was too far along in her pregnancy to qualify for an abortion. Indiana is the home of former Vice President Mike Pence and will soon have its own stricter abortion laws in place. In his dissent in Dobbs, Justice Stephen Breyer noted the disparity abortion bans have on black and brown women, saying, quote, Experts estimate that a ban on abortion increases maternal mortality by 21 percent, with white women facing a 13 percent increase in maternal mortality, while black women face a 33 percent increase, unquote. Journalist Martha Raddatz raised similar concerns to South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem on ABC's This Week. South Dakota has implemented an effective ban on abortions post-Roe, but Governor Nome has said, despite the ban, those who are pregnant will not walk alone. Let's look at that support. The nonpartisan Commonwealth Fund, a social policy think tank, says the 14 states that have the most restrictive abortion laws, including South Dakota, invest the least in policies and programs for women and children. So what, what do you mean when you say these mothers will never be alone? Well, I would say that the facts on the ground are that South Dakota is doing a lot to coordinate with nonprofits, with churches, and then also the state in a new way by launching this website and committing to end legislative session to support these mothers is incredibly powerful. You know, this is a conversation that we have a, a change now at the federal level. The states will be each evaluating how they approach this situation. In Wisconsin, Attorney General Josh Call has taken steps to prevent an 1849 law from taking effect after Roe's repeal. That 1849 law almost entirely bans abortion. So let's think about this for a second. A law from 1849 will dictate women's health in 2022. Think of what life was like in America in 1849. It was before the Civil War, so slavery still existed. Women, obviously, could not vote. Not to mention almost 175 years of medical advances. For protester Hannah Williams, overturning Roe is more than a step backwards for women's rights. She says it's a total failure to separate church from state. Hey, Hannah, and you're 21 from Cincinnati? Yes. Okay. Why are you out here today? Uh, protesting my right to just live freely, just like everybody else should have, just like men should have, I should have equal rights. And why do you feel like you don't? Because I don't have freedom over my own body anymore. It's up to the state to decide when I become a mother. When I become a mother, it should be my choice. And when I can financially afford it, when I'm mentally stable, when I can be emotionally available for my kid to have the best life that they could have. So the decision came down yesterday. Was it a shockwave for you? It was. I, like, there was the leak and everything, but I kind of believe that it wouldn't happen because that's absurd. Like, it's, like, I, the whole time I was like, there's no way that will happen. Like, everybody should have the life that they want to live. Like, forced birth is violence. It's, 
not fair. It's unethical. So when the leak was coming, I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. And then it did. And it was just like disbelief. Like, there's no way. Like, we're going back in time. Doesn't make sense. What is the discussion with other women in your life right now? Older women, your peers, what is everybody saying? It's all just kind of like, we're angry. Like, we should be moving forward in time, not backward. Like, it's, it's like, this is supposed to be the greatest country, like America. And it's, if you're a man, if you're cisgender, straight, white, that's the only way that you have any power in this country. Anything else, and you don't. Do you feel like you matter as a woman? Um, I feel like the public, I do matter, but in the politically, I don't. Like anybody that had like politics is power in this country, and since I'm a woman, I'm at a disadvantage. Um, like there aren't a lot of women that do have power politically in this country, um, and it's just hard to be heard. And I will keep fighting until I am heard, until real change is made. And no matter how long that takes. Um, I'll try to get people to vote because voting is what makes the real difference and we have to vote people that allow people to give a choice like a freedom of religion is what you're supposed to have and we don't have that right now like if you want to believe in the Bible you can believe in the Bible and follow what the Bible says and live your life but I don't have to live according to what the Bible says because I don't believe in the Bible you do you I'll do me like I don't care what you do why do you care what I do are you scared to get pregnant? Yes, I cannot provide for a kid right now, and I wouldn't want to give them up into the foster system because the foster system sucks here too. Like, I wouldn't be giving them a life that they deserve. Like, when I want to have a kid, I want to be, I want them to have the toys that they want to have. I want them to live up safe. I don't want to be in fear of being evicted from where I live and being put out on the street or being kicked out of home because my parents can't afford a kid and they can't afford me anymore because then I have all this extra baggage that I'm bringing along like I want to have kids someday I do but I'm not ready right now and if the government should not be deciding that for me where do we go from here we have to keep protesting we have to vote people in we have to vote that is what a lot of people are not doing we have to vote people say a lot of things and then they don't go out and vote, but voting is what makes the biggest difference because that's how we get people out of office that believe in these old school Christian ways. Like, I've, if you want to live your life by your religion, then you do that. But the Bible does not get to decide what I do. Like, if you're Christian, that's perfectly fine with me, but I'm not. So why do I have to live the way that you live your life? And that's how a lot of political heads are saying like, the Bible is how it goes. It's not. That's not how life goes for everybody. We'll come back to protesters at the State House in a little while. For now, let's travel back in time to October of 1972, when the then Supreme Court, made up of nine men, heard oral arguments for Roe versus Wade. First, in number 70, 18, a row against Wade. Mrs. Weddington, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Of course, we know how the Supreme Court decided that case. The court ruled 7-2 to two in favor of the constitutionally protected right to have an abortion. Five of those seven justices came to the court appointed by Republican presidents. The plaintiff in Roe v. Wade was Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe. 
1969, she got pregnant with her third child. McCorvey wanted an abortion, but she lived in Texas, where in the 60s, abortion was illegal, except when necessary to save the mother's life. Her attorneys filed a lawsuit against her local DA, Henry Wade, alleging that Texas's abortion laws were unconstitutional. Many of the arguments made 50 years ago are relevant again. Here's attorney Sarah Weddington, the Dallas lawyer who represented Jane Roe, making her opening argument. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. We are once again before this court to ask relief against the continued enforcement of the Texas abortion statute and ask that you affirm the ruling of the three-judge court below, which held our statute unconstitutional for two reasons. The first, that it was vague, and the second, that it interfered with the Ninth Amendment right of a woman to determine whether or not she would continue or terminate a pregnancy. As you will recall, there are three, four, three plaintiffs and one intervenor involved here. The first plaintiff was Jane Rowe, an unmarried pregnant girl who had sought an abortion in the state of Texas and was denied it because of the Texas abortion statute which provides an abortionist lawful only for the purpose of saving the life of the woman. In the original action, she was joined by a married couple, John and Mary Doe. Mrs. Doe had a medical condition. Her doctor had recommended first that she not get pregnant and second that she not take the pill. After this cause was instituted and after in fact the three judge court had been granted, those three plaintiffs were joined by an intervener Dr. Halford, who was at the time he intervened under a pending state criminal prosecution under the statute. On the other side of the case, Texas Attorney General Robert Flowers. Here's an exchange between Justice Potter Stewart and A.G. Flowers, and the court asks the question, is a fetus a person, and what rights does a fetus have? Do you know of any case anywhere that's uh, held that an unborn fetus is a person within the meaning of the 14th Amendment? No, sir. We can only go back to what the framers of our Constitution had in mind. Well, these weren't the framers who wrote the 14th Amendment that came along. No, sir. Uh, I understand, but the Fifth Amendment, uh, under the Fifth Amendment, no one shall be deprived of, of rights to life, liberty, and property without the due process of law. Yes, but then the 14th Amendment defines person, and it defines person as somebody who's born, doesn't it? I'm not sure about that. Any person born or naturalized in the United States doesn't. I suppose that's not a definition of a person, but that's a definition of a citizen. Your Honor, it's our position that uh, the definition of a person is so basic it's so fundamental that it is uh, the framers of the Constitution uh, had not even uh, set out to define. Uh, we can only go to what the teachings at the time of the Constitution was framed. Uh, we have uh, numerous listings in the brief by uh, Mr. Joe Witherspoon, a professor at the University of Texas that tries to trace back 
what was in the, their mind when they had the person concept, when they drew up the Constitution. He quoted Blackstone in 1765, and he observed in his commentaries that life, this right is inherent by nature in every individual and exists even before the child is born. I submit to you that the Declaration of Independence, we hold... Lord, when you quote Blackstone, is it not true that in Blackstone's time, abortion was not a felony? That, that's true, uh, Your Honor, but uh, what my point there was to see the thinking of the framers of the Constitution from the people they learned from and the general attitude of the time. Well, I, I think, I'm just wondering if there's a basic inconsistency there. And uh, let me go back to something else that you said. It, is it not true or is it true that the medical profession itself is not in agreement as to when life begins? I think that's true, sir. So in 1972, we hear A.G. Flowers quoting Blackstone from 1765, 200 years before he's arguing Roe versus Wade. Again, let's think about life in 1765. Women can't vote, can't own property, and have no recourse if their husbands rape them. Which brings us back to the current day. In his opinion overturning Roe, Justice Samuel Alito cited Sir Matthew Hale several times. Hale lived in the 17th century, and the Washington Post reported that Hale considered marital rape okay since wives were their husbands' property, and Hale sentenced at least two women to die for witchcraft. It's commonplace in constitutional law analysis to look at what the framers' intentions were when drafting the Constitution. But the glaring point here is that critics say today's court is out of date. For 32-year-old Ricardo Gutierrez, repealing Roe is a shocking development because he immigrated to America from Venezuela in search of more freedom. Abortion is illegal in Venezuela, and Gutierrez says his mom was an anesthesiologist in Venezuela who watched women die regularly from attempting their own abortions. So what they would do over there, they will do, they will put something inside of them so that way they will have a miscarriage and then they will go to the hospital to take the body okay. out. So. And how, how many of those do you think your mom? Oh my mom, that was like on, on every week every week and a lot of these girls died you know and it was sad and because it wasn't legal and because it was done in an unsafe environment yeah. you know and it's not like because you make it legal or illegal it's going to stop happening it's still like it's all about how do we make sure that it's done safely so why are you out here today um i'm a believer of freedom i come from a country where it's very not free <laughs> and there's not a lot of rights so uh, that's the main reason why I came to the United States because you know I believe in freedom I believe people should be able to do whatever they want not only with their bodies but you know 
with their actions and be able to do the things that they love and what they believe for. And I feel like the state shouldn't be the one telling you what you can and cannot do, not only with your body, but you know, with you know, anything that involves your daily life. So I'm looking at your sign here. Yep. Can you tell me what your sign says? It says, first it's a question against abortion, and then it says have a, a vasectomy. Okay, so yes. that's a male perspective. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we keep, not on, I feel like we keep putting the blame on the women when in fact it's, well, first of all, we as men, I mean, we, we, we're not the owners of women. So they should be able to do whatever they want and we should take responsibility too when it comes to, you know, bringing somebody to life, you know, having a kid or procreating. And I feel like it should be our responsibility as well. And so right now, yeah. it seems like the burden is all on the woman once Correct. there's a pregnancy. Correct. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I feel like we do live in a male-dominant society, unfortunately, and I feel like we should level the field, you know, level the, everything. So it's not just on the women, but on men's responsibility as well. So we had a leak, obviously. So we, this wasn't a complete shock yesterday. Mm -hmm. When the leak came out, what did you think? When it came out, I, I was uh, like. This is a right that a lot of people is losing, so what's next? That's kind of my concern. So, and, and again, like I'm pro a lot of things, you know, pro freedom, pro do whatever you want. Like if we lose this, what's next? You know, and not just, like, again, this is, honestly, it doesn't involve, like it, it doesn't affect me. Directly. Directly, it doesn't, right. you know, but it affects my girlfriend. My mother, my my cousins, my you know the people and, and the, the women in, in, in my circle and my in my surrounding and my society, and I don't think it's fair. So that's why I'm here out protesting. One of the themes I saw over and over again is generations, women alive before Roe women who have only known life under Roe until now, and the next generation, kids and teens who are involved in what they say is the fight for fundamental rights. Okay, tell me your name. Harmony. Harmony, how old are you? Uh, almost nine. Almost nine, okay. And what's your name? Avery, okay, and what's your name? Anita. How old are you? Um, she's six. Okay, so why are you here today? Because uh, we're trying to fix the law. And what does your sign say? Uh, 2022, I march. 2035, 20, I vote. 2062, I run. It's I actually my sister's, um, but my cousin has it right now, so yeah. So you might want to be president one day? for senator or something like that, a politician? Yeah. Maybe. So, do you guys think that boys and girls are equal? Yes. Yes. And what do you think that means for boys and girls, if they're equal? Um, they should both be able to do the same things, boys and girls. They should both be able to do the same things. Same things. Do you, do you think that sometimes boys get treated differently than girls? Sometimes. How? Um, like... 
um, so I have this bully in school. Um, he says um, boys are better than girls, but obviously girls can be stronger. That's right. And who taught you that girls can be strong? Uh, my mom. <laughs> and my dad. And your dad. That's right. Uh, my name's Maddie Leffel. Okay, and how old are you? I'm 17. Um, what grade are you in? I'm a, going to be a senior. You're going to be a senior. Okay, mm -hmm. so what do you think as a 17-year-old about what's going on? It's honestly ridiculous. It's just a repeat in history, but in the wrong way. I feel like it's 2022 and things should not be going like this for women. Were you surprised? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was because I thought, like, there's been enough We've made a lot of commotion about it already, us as women and people that are against the overturn. Like we, I feel like it should have been, I don't know, I just feel like it's not fair for women and especially the young age women. Like if you, me personally, I'm 17, I can't vote, but I still am forced to be pregnant. That's kind of ridiculous for me. That's really interesting. So you feel like you don't have a voice, but, but you're still being dictated. Yep, exactly. Why did you want to be out here today? I feel like the only way for things to change is to show that people care and people are upset about this. So I feel the more, the bigger the party out here, the bigger change will be made. Do you think change can be made though? Or do you feel like this is where we're at now? I mean, I think it can be changed. It's just going to take a lot of work from us, the people, to make the change. So you can't vote yet, but you will be able to soon. Yeah, my birthday is actually before election day, so I plan to vote this year. And will this be the most important thing to you when you vote? Honestly, yeah, it will be. Why? Um, I just feel like as a woman, it's the it's can control so much. It's not only controlling being able to have an abortion, it's just proving that the government has control over me, and I don't like the fact of that. Where are you from, Jessica? I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Okay, can I ask how old you are? I am 34. 34, okay, so I see you've got some Tupac lyrics here. Yes. Can you tell me what your Tupac lyrics are and why you chose them? Um, so my poster board says, it's from Tupac's Keep Your Head Up song. It says, I wonder why we take from our women, why we wait our women, do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So those are obviously relevant today. Obviously. What does it say that you're, you have to quote lyrics that are written decades ago about women's rights today? Um, I don't know, I just think it's very relevant. Um, this, this verse in particular, I mean, I have twin girls that are eight years old. Um, they're with their father this weekend, and I wanted to bring them down here, but given my parenting schedule, I wasn't able to, so I, you know, I'm fighting for them. I mean, I... I How so? How do you feel like you're fighting for your daughters? Um, I mean, I don't know. We need to speak up. We need to, we all need to have a voice. Do you feel like you do have a voice right now? A very small one. A very, very small one. I mean, if... There's power in numbers, and if there's more people that come together, uh, and if we all scream together, maybe eventually we'll be heard, but it's just, it, this set us back 50 years, you know?
The Dobbs decision leaves a void about what comes next. Will the court ban access to contraceptives? Does reversing Roe also give legal justifications for a full-out ban on abortion in any state? What about reversing gay marriage, blocking rights for transgendered people? Roe relied upon the right to privacy as a legal doctrine. We're not going to get too much into that, but overturning Roe means the right to privacy, which comes into play for other legal rights, like who you marry, whom you sleep with. It could put gay rights, trans rights, interracial marriage at issue. It's something 27-year-old Will Johnoff is worried about. He's the boyfriend of Sarah Knapp, the social worker we heard from earlier. I see your sign. It's a pink shirt that says? Feminist. <laughs> Tell me why you're out here today. So I'm out here not just for my girlfriend, who obviously has a direct interest in this, but also because judging by how they kind of worded their argument against this, there's plenty of other things they could try to go for after this. It's not just women's rights that are at stake here. And I've got friends all across, whether it's the LGBTQ plus spectrum or they're women, or I know some people that just have some kind of vested interest in this. So I want to be out here and support them and show that it's a much more than just women's issues that are right, right here. I feel like this has so many different dimensions to it, which is what you were just touching on. How do you feel like you're impacted? So personally, I would say my impact is that being a, a cis white male, normally most of the laws that are either processed or that are being considered have no direct impact on me and they're being made by people like me. So I feel like it's very, very important for those that are like me to get out here and show that we have just as much of an interest as in this as people who are actually being directly affected by this. I was asking some of the other younger ladies out here, but primarily men on the Supreme Court have made this decision. As a man, where do you think the, the role, the importance of men, because women don't get pregnant by themselves, right? Of course not. That'd be miraculous. <laughs> what do you think the role of men is in this situation? It's extremely difficult for me as a man to ever think that I have any sort of authority or right or even a say really in whatever happens to a female's body because it, it doesn't affect me. So the fact that, like you stated, that most of the Supreme Court is made up of men and they feel like they have some sort of right to tell them, the general populace, like, well, women don't fall under certain protections. That just, I find that really hard to justify no matter how you look at it. Now you touched on um, what comes next after this. You touched on what comes next after this. What are you hearing from your LGBTQ plus friends? What are they saying? So I don't remember the specific names of the cases cited, but I know they cited three cases and one of them has to deal with the, the precedent behind gay marriage. One has to do with the precedent behind, I believe it was uh, sexual privacy. I don't remember the third one off the top of my head, but considering that those are more or less next up on the chopping block per the, the Supreme Court's direct words, um, they're extremely worried that right after this, if 
without any real pushback, they're gonna head straight for those. And I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, particularly because they've more or less explicitly stated that's, that's what we're going to do next. So for you, where is the fight? Where do you go from here? I think the biggest thing people can do, midterm elections are coming up and historically, people are not so great at turning out for midterm elections. They just never have been. Um, the best thing you can do is go out, either whether it's protesting or just letting people know about the issues at hand and definitely actually voting in your midterm elections because this is where a lot of local changes and state changes are made or at the midterms. And if you don't like what's going on, you don't think that they're representative of your beliefs, go out and elect someone that does. So in a, in a way you think this has reignited the spotlight for democracy and voting? I sure hope so. I feel like if this isn't enough of a pushing point for people, then there's not much that's going to push you to go do it. What comes next is unclear. For now, America remains in a state of chaos as people facing unwanted pregnancies, doctors, clinics, prosecutors, try to navigate the cascade of changes from overturning Roe. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The American Now. Please leave us a five-star review and join us next time for a new episode.